0: So that said, I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hi, Alicia. It's good to have you on the show.
1: Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here.
0: So where in the world are you right now?
1: (laughs) That's such a great question these days. Uh, I am currently in San Francisco, the Bay Area.
0: So you're there for work or is this a... Vacation.
1: Where I live, actually.
0: You live in the San Francisco Bay Area. I um, do.
1: Yeah, one of the lucky few that one uh, of the lucky
0: few paying astronomical prices for everything.
1: I, I do. And for those astronomical prices, I, I try to be grateful every day for the views and for the nature and for the experiences. Uh but yes, yes, it's it's a, a certainly a privilege to be here.
0: And how's the weather these days?
1: Oh my gosh, it's winter in San Francisco, it's like green. And I'm looking outside the window and everything is bright green, like the Easter Bunny could show up at any moment. (laughs) And it's sunny and it's going to be 60 today.
0: 60. Wow. That's actually quite nice weather. That's almost like San Diego.
1: Yeah. I I say that. um, I used to live in Minneapolis where it was negative 30 wind chill yesterday. So I say that with great glee.
0: You're a Minneapolis lady. (laughs) And then you move all the way to California. Do you move for work?
1: Yeah. I've lived lots of places, but California is currently, currently the destination.
0: So for the sake of the audience, maybe just talk through your background so they know why we're having a banter about where you live. Most people may not know you're a management consultant. So let's oh give them God. some background here.
1: Uh, background. Um, well, I now lead a company called Turnesaw, which is a leadership consulting firm that um, helps leaders in times of significant change. And I'm sure we'll get into this, Michael, You know, because we use this unique approach called Leading Brighter. But my background is actually, I started in public education, and then that led me to uh, get into org- organizational change and development and transformation. And that led me to strategy and strategy execution. Uh, and then that led me here. So I've been inside companies, outside companies, consulting, you know, a senior leader myself, just had this crazy journey, lived in 10 cities as a result. It's been amazing.
0: So you live in 10 cities all in the United States or outside the US?
1: No, I lived. In, I lived in Australia as well and Canada. Oh, that's mm-hmm. pretty nice. Yeah.
0: So you've covered most of the Anglo-Saxon world. You just got New Zealand to cover and the UK.
1: Well, I, I was trying to do the entire Commonwealth. But the I haven't entire Commonwealth.
0: Yet. <laughs> so Africa is on your list at some point.
1: Why not? Why Why not.
0: So let's think about this, right? You're a management consultant, but you didn't start out wanting to be one. You ended up there through a series of...
1: Oh, completely serendipitous events. Like, no, if my first, I, when I was 23, I think, uh, my first sort of dream was I was gonna create a nonprofit that would help improve uh, the public schools here in the United States.
0: Oh, wow, that's pretty nice.
1: Yeah, yeah. So no, if, if you asked me, my 23 year old self, if if uh, she could have imagined this was my career, I would have laughed.
0: And now what does your daughter think about this?
1: Oh, my daughter thinks she's so proud of me.
0: Oh, that's good. <laughs> So the younger yeah, version of yourself. Is lots opinions about of you.
1: my work, I will tell you that, which is pretty funny.
0: <laughs> so let's talk about your work. You do leadership work, and you mentioned there's something called Lead Brighter or Bright Leadership.
1: Yeah, Lead Brighter, huh?
0: So, what kind of work do you do? Let's talk to a typical problem or engagement you're working through right now.
1: You know. Um, the starting place for our work is leaders, particularly, you know, I think for our company, this is different than the idea of Lead writer, which is applicable to pretty much anyone, but the company does work with, you know, typically CEOs and senior leaders, and they tend to be in moments of significant change, like maybe they're new role or they're at a, an inflection point in some, at some kind, like they need to create a new um, vision or strategy for their company, yes. or, you know, maybe there's something in their industry that they want to take advantage of. There's, you know, obviously there's, Um, no shortage of major change happening in the world right now. So leaders are in times of change and they're looking for um, new ways to do, um, kind of lead people through this change. And that's where we really come in. So, um, and that's where we have this unique approach uh, called leading writer.
0: And what's different about the approach? I mean, how does it differ from previous work you're doing or what other firms are doing?
1: Gosh. um, You know, I, I would first say it's, 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 it's a really new way. It's it's mm-hmm. based on a fundamentally different mindset and set of tools. And I, I would I would offer because I come from strategy, you know, kind of traditional yeah. strategy, yeah. that it it starts from a very different orientation. And I think it it it's about making a different choice. Like um, right now, and, and Michael, you might have different experiences or similar experiences, but I, I certainly find right now so much uncertainty, unpredictability is going on in the world. That a lot of times I, when i go to work with leaders they forget that they have agency in this yeah. moment you know they've just been so beaten up they forget they have agency and so one of the first things that we do using this lead writer approach is we remind them you hey, know actually you can make a choice you know you get to make a choice how you lead in this moment and you can choose to lead in the old way and this was the way i was raised um which i would argue is kind of this way about survival you know yeah. strategy in traditional forms, at least my experience of it, it's a a lot around um, predicting the future, analyzing the future, Mm -hmm. controlling risk, you know, um, trying to protect, et cetera. And, And it's really around survival. And I think what we're trying to offer through this different leadership approach is, actually you can do more as a leader in this moment than just survive. You can help people thrive. And the way you do that is by deciding that you're gonna use the entirety of your leadership platform whether that's, you know, are the money you've got or the influence, power, or the people, you're going to use that platform to create a brighter future. And we define a brighter future as one that is, uh, you know, more shared prosperity, more equality, more connection, more discovery, more joy, things that actually matter to people that uh, really improve the quality of people's lives. And, and, and what I'll say about that is what's been really interesting for me, again, having come from traditional strategy and then been kind of playing with this new way for a while now Is that when a leader decides to make this choice and to create a better future and they plant the flag in the future and they say this is what we're going to do. They look backwards from that future and what they realize is they don't have everything they need so they actually see new things they have to invent new offerings new products new services new capabilities. And through inventing those things it causes them to elevate their performance, you know more growth more profits and it has the impact of elevating people's lives as well
0: okay so i like what you're saying i used to be a strategy partner in my previous life big transformation projects around the world high-end corporate strategy and i agree with the one big flaw with all strategy engagements is that we make the assumption that the people can do what the strategy asks them to do we never ever think about who are the people that's going to implement this who are the people responsible we just assume the strategy is the answer Yeah, it's the way strategy has always been. It's not right. But it's as almost as if the people are interchangeable, because the strategy is the answer.
1: Right, right, right. Well, and it's really interesting, like, I guess, you know, again, I I came from traditional strategy, right? So how does one who comes from traditional strategy say, hey, actually, there's a better way or a different way. And I, you know, I think it was from my own personal experiences, like you, like I, I, sort of grew up as an incredibly idealistic child. And you know, I was the kid growing up that um, didn't wanna be a teacher or a doctor. I wanted to be a leader. And I wanted to be a leader because leaders were think, you know, the people that made great things happen for other people. And, and I think I entered the business world with that idea that I was gonna be yes. a leader and I was gonna make you know, big things happen. And what happened to me was actually, um, I had the really unlucky experience of learning what it feels like to be disrupted Three different times in three different industries, and uh, it, the first time I was um, I was I was doing strategy for a CEO and a, a team. They were a hundred-year-old uh, iconic telecom company. Right when you know, mobile was taking down uh, landmines. Yes. Then I left and went to work for the country's largest print digital media company, right when uh, digital media was like annihilating that business model. <laughs> You're really
0: good at picking future career moves. I, I know, exactly. and then right
1: after that, I went and worked for the team, senior team of a multi-billion dollar brick and mortar retailer right when e-commerce Wow. Uh, and, and, and you know, it was really interesting going back to your point is, you know, it's three different companies, three different sets of leaders. They all use the same playbook to address this disruption happening to them. And they hired the top strategy firm uh, because they were big companies. You know, they hired the top strategy firm. The strategy firm did the strategy, just like you talked about, you know, what are the new products and services? How are we going to defend the core? What is the cost cutting? What are the reorgs? And in all three cases, it failed miserably. You know, the brand declined, you know, lots of people lost their jobs, financial value lost. And I think what happened to me, you know, being a strategist, being a person who believed in leadership through those experiences was me um, sort of having a fundamental kind of internal crisis about is there actually power in leadership anymore you know if this is the way the world is it's so uncertain unpredictable you know can leaders actually do more than help people survive and uh, because that's what i felt like strategy was doing was just kind of this survival idea um and and that's really where this leap Rider kind of concept came from to be honest was me being so freaked out <laughs> from yeah. those experiences and needing to go see if there was a way that leaders in this day and age could help people thrive and and lead writers, at least my answer to that.
0: No, what you're saying makes perfect sense. I completely agree with you. I was recently speaking to a Chinese automotive executive, a client of mine. And I'll give you this example so that the listeners can understand why we're talking about the limitations of strategy. He wanted to know, what is Tesla's strategy?
1: because they want to
0: copy Tesla's strategy. Now, Tesla strategy is not a secret, I think everyone knows it. But the point I made to him is that there's no way they can implement Tesla's strategy, they just don't have the people who can pull that off. It's not as if the strategy is some big secret, even if they knew what the strategy is, and they got the playbook, they would never be able to do what Elon Musk can do, because he has some ability to raise his troops morale that they just cannot do.
1: Well, and the other thing that he does, you know, uh, is he comes at it, my point of view, from a point of view of he sees a different future than than other people, right? And again, that's a new way of leading, uh, which we would more advocate for, which is, you know, he's using his platform in multiple areas. He sees a better future and he's inventing a future that most of us, um, you know, didn't think of.
0: Exactly. So it's not as if once you know the strategy everything is solved. The strategy has something to do with it, but it's about what that strategy is and can you actually pull it off? And it's what yeah. you say is very true. Many companies, they fall into the habit of benchmarking themselves, which is really survival. When you're benchmarking yourself, you're just trying to get right. parity. You're trying That's to be true. as good as everyone else, but you're not getting past that box you've created for yourself because that That's means you right. have peers, right?
1: That's right. And I think Again, you know, having done this deep exploration myself, and it was really, truly, honestly, Michael, it was for me, for me, originally, yeah. me just being really upset by because the leaders that I had worked with in those three stories that I just mentioned, you know, they were great people, well intentioned, um, well trained, you know, doing the playbook I would have used, frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I think when I went to go explore what happened, one of the things that I realized was that that playbook which I would argue is, is sort of um, representative of today's um, dominant leadership paradigm, uh, that leadership paradigm actually comes from economics and military strategy. And yes. because of that, the paradigm is based on principles of scarcity and war. And so the story of strategy right now and leadership right now that you hear, and again, it's not, this isn't the only paradigm, but, but I would argue certainly still the dominant one is, hey, there's not enough to go around. So you better, leader, make sure your company has the share, your share, and you better protect your share and you better make sure you can be the biggest and the best, and you can destroy the competitors and you can uh, disrupt before you're disrupted. And, you know, this is where we get language. And you see this all over the media, right? Mm -hmm. You see it all over the media. You hear it when you're, when you're in business, you know, command and control headquarters, war rooms, I mean, our fundamental paradigm of strategy and business leadership is based off of these principles of scarcity and war. And they're, they create fear in people, to your point. And, and, and certainly my, to go back to your point about the people, my experiences was the playbook that these leaders used in those moments, which was really traditional strategy, failed because they created fear in people. And there was already a ton of fear that was going around because everybody in those companies knew that there was something happening to them that was really scary. And they just couldn't, they just fell apart.
0: Yes, that makes sense. And if you look at those examples you provided, I know it's not the way you think, you are just paraphrasing the sort of dominant way of how strategy is approached. Very few people talk about the joy of serving. Yes. It's a joy to delight a customer. It's a joy to produce something that makes a three-year-old squeal with laughter if you're a company. Uh,
1: Ah, totally, totally agree. That's
0: why you should be in business. But what happens is a lot of people want access to capital for egotistical reasons. They want to be the boss, but they're not really interested in serving anymore.
1: Yeah, you know what? I think that's so interesting. And I'd be curious to see if you you agree with us. I think... From our experiences, you know, this this concept of lead brighter and this idea that it's a method and different way of leading has been around now for a while, you know, we've been playing with, but I certainly think it's become more relevant over the last couple of years. And and what I wanted to sort of see what you think about is like, for us, given all of the shifts that are happening in the world right now, certainly in the United States, it's things like, you know, um, climate change and political polarization and, you know, uh, the global pandemic, you know, the little thing called the global pandemic, there's so much Happening, I think one of the things that I've experienced is more and more leaders, because they're humans, are waking up to, what do I want to do to leave a legacy? What do I want to do that matters with my life? I think it's contributing to the great reassessment that people talk about right now. And because to your point, I think this traditional way that we've been uh, leading strategy is about survival. It is about sort of these, you know, uh, at the at the core, these war-based principles, as opposed to certainly what I believe in and and what Lee Brighter subscribes to is this idea that no, actually, your job is to create a brighter future. And to your point, like in business, you can actually create joy. You can create connection. You can create discovery. You can create these things. You know, we had a a client um, not too long ago. He was he's. Um, CEO of uh, one of the world's largest hospitality companies, and he was following uh, a CEO and really needing to figure out what he wanted to do with his time. He was trying to find his voice and his aspiration for the company, and we helped him to write what you know we call a leadership calling story. And what it does is it helps a leader as a human connect to the contribution that they believe they can make through their leadership. And in his case, he realized to go back to your point, that the company he was leading actually had an opportunity to affect social isolation, that um, more and more people are feeling lonely, but this company, because of what they do, interacts with millions and millions of customers every day. And he knew through anecdotal and qualitative data that um, if they could increase human connection in each of those customer touch points, they could not only influence repeat purchases, but they could also, you know, create more joy in people's life because they they have the connections. and And he made that a cornerstone of his leadership strategy. and 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 now you see uh, the impact not only in sort of the customer feedback but also in their financial
0: performance as well. So he's looking for that overlap.
1: He was looking for the overlap. And honestly, it was the overlap of him as a human, with him as the company with the company. And then with the company, uh, the company having a business, you know, performance, needing to have business performance, but believing he could elevate that performance by making an impact in people's lives.
0: Yes, that's very true. And if you look at the way even boards are structured around the world, the American system is a board that is built around the investors. Yes. So whoever is a major investor has a board seat. Now, the Europeans who consider themselves very progressive, like, the Germans example, they have union leaders on their board. But have you ever heard of a board having customers on the board? And if you are there to serve customers, why don't you have some customers on the board?
1: That's such an interesting question. I've never heard of customers being on a board. You know, you only hear it in terms of advisory or, you know, data exactly. or what have you. And again, it's the humanity of it, you know, like we're in a we're in a time when I think we would all do well to um, amp up humanity, you know, our connections as humans are, you know, kind of what's, what's important to us as humans, you know, and what's important to us as humans is, you know, not the same as what's important to society in some cases.
0: You know, the way I would think about it is that if I was the CEO of a company that made toys for 3 year olds I would have a three-year-old in every meeting.
1: What toy would you make, Michael?
0: It doesn't matter what toy it is. I need to know what the three-year-old <laughs> likes. But if I was making a toy for three-year-olds, I would have a three-year-old in every meeting.
1: Yeah. I'd
0: yeah. want to observe this child play. I want to observe what this child does, how they do it.
1: Yeah.
0: yeah. And I use this example of toys, but I also use it with banking clients. Yeah. Because I used to, I set off my career serving banks. And I would always, I wouldn't ask directly because I don't want to embarrass an executive, but I would indirectly want to know how much time do you spend down in the branches actually serving a client? Yeah, what answer do you get? It's almost never. (laughs) It's almost never, I know powerful banking executives who've never been into one of their branches. And when you sit in their strategy sessions, about 5% of the discussion is about the customer and the other 95% is about how the company is gonna use their resources to respond to competitors yes
1: yes exactly and i think you know back to your point i think you mentioned a minute ago about capital right like it's it's such an important time for leaders business leaders to think about what is value in today's world you know and because that's where you're going is um the joy of serving you know like value in today's world in my mind given the uncertainty and unpredictability that we live in is how can you make things better? How can you make things brighter? How can you make, because the reality is the future doesn't exist yet and we can choose whatever we want it to be. And so how, how are you contributing to something that's better versus, you know, to your point, what I think a lot of people do, which is how can I protect what I have? Um, how can I squeeze more out of it, etc. cetera?
0: Yes, that's a good point because oftentimes it's about shifting your identity as opposed to doing anything new because If you don't shift your identity, your actions are going to be the same. And I have a good example of that. I mentioned that I started off serving banks, and then I moved to serving power companies. And then towards the end of my career, I was serving resources and mining companies. And a lot of people would ask me, why do you serve oil companies? Why do you serve people that drill holes in the ground and pour dangerous chemicals in there? Because it's a valid question, like, why would I do that? And the discussion I would have with people is that if you look at a country like Afghanistan, which is essentially a failed state, Afghanistan has basically no employment, no investment. Do you think JP Morgan is going to open a branch network there? No. Do you think Starbucks is going to open stores? No. Do you think uh, McDonald's is going to be there? Mercedes? No. The first people that are going to go in to stabilize the country will be mining companies.
1: Interesting. Uh Uh Until
0: a mining company goes in there, starts extracting minerals, start paying people a salary, starts building hospitals to serve its workers, building roads, building railway lines. There is no economic anchor. Yeah. So I always tell people that I, I don't see myself as being a resources consultant. I really believe we're doing God's work.
1: Yeah, I love that, though. It's all about the frame.
0: It's all about the framing. So when people say, but why do you want to work in a, Why do you want to go look at a mine? I'm thinking, I, can you imagine the impact we are having? We are creating jobs for people that would never be able to get jobs. Their yeah. children are going to have a better life because of what we're doing.
1: Yeah. I, yeah, I mean, what I love about that example, Michael, is it started with you as the human, right? Like, yes. what motivates you? And what contribution do you want to make? And And, you know, to your point, you could have gone into that same mining company with a very different point of view and just kind of soaked it because mining companies are obviously very cash um, rich you know <laughs> so you could have soaked it for something totally different but instead you went in and said you know what what creates meaning for me the value that I want to create the contribution I want to make is isn't something far bigger I love that
0: and it's not just words right I mean no it's your actions it's just
1: burns. yeah
0: when I used to go to companies and On a weekend, usually consultants go back home, right? They leave back on Thursday. Mm -hmm. But I would actually spend the weekend at the mining site with the employees. Wow. Get to know them, go for barbecues with their families. In fact, I remember once someone told me I was crazy because I went three kilometers underground in a mine.
1: That is crazy. To go
0: and meet the workers and see what they're doing underground. Three
1: kilometers? Hold on, just back up. Three kilometers underground, that would make me like so claustrophobic.
0: It's scary, 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 but it's so exciting. Yeah. It's really exciting to see how something is made.
1: Yeah. And yeah. sometimes right. I'd go into
0: an aluminium smelter, mm-hmm. these are huge facilities, before it starts operating. Yeah. And I'd like to sit there, not sit, but just stand there and look at what was built and what we're going to do. So, yeah. what I find when I tell executives the reasons why I want to serve them. Not only do they like it, they start using that terminology and storyline as well.
1: I love that because I think you're making such a great point, which is, you know, each of us have a choice in how we how we think about the contributions we're making as a leader, as a business leader, as a leader leader. You know, what what is it that you know we feel called to do? What is it that we feel called to contribute? What is what are we going to make better through our work? You know, and to your point, it's a choice that you made about that. You could yes. have been not intentional about that. You could have gone in and just sort of gone with the flow. But it sounds to me from what you're saying that you were very intentional about, you know, what mattered to you and, and to your point. I think that's 100% the first step in, in in being a leader that creates, you know, a different kind of value. And, and in my language, you know, creates a brighter future.
0: And I'd also use that line of thinking when I met the regulators from the country in which the miner was working, because oftentimes the relationship is very contentious. Yeah, where the country thinks the miner is not doing enough, and they want to nationalize assets. And I'd always point out to them that, you know, think about everything you can do. But think about who came here first, when you had nothing? Yeah, Yeah. who took the risk? Yeah. And if you look at even places like the former Soviet Union, places like Mongolia, Kazakhstan, it is the resources companies that are turning around those countries.
1: Yeah. Where did you building work? building the middle class. Where did you work, Michael? Countries, where did you get oh, to go?
0: Many of them. Oh, I worked in Botswana. I worked in Russia, Dubai, wow. Brazil, Chile. Montgola, yeah, so you got to see it India. across like
1: humanity, how that works.
0: Yeah, there's, there's something about meeting someone who never thought they would make it. Yeah. Who never thought that anything good would happen to them. Therefore, they have no concept of wanting and then they get an opportunity. Yeah. And that look on their face and how excited they are and how they invest in their children and how they care about themselves. You know, it's quite an amazing thing to see a family move from a hut to yeah. a house of electricity.
1: Yes, but but I I just so I like I so am energized by what you're saying because the 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 crux to your point is a leader made a choice to show up in a different way.
0: Yes, it's all about the way you frame things.
1: Yeah, it's it's and, and I, I would argue it's more than framing because I liked your word a minute ago about your identity because it's, it's really, who do you think you are as a leader? Like, again, if, in my language, it's, you know, in that moment, you know, a leader walked into that moment, you know, in Botswana or wherever it was, right? And they could have made a choice. They could choose to just kind of really um, exploit it, exploit the resources and the people, or they could really build something wonderful and sustainable, right? And, and that leader has to make a choice to use your language to serve. And you know, then that has to be congruent with who they are as a person um, to be able to do that. But yes, it, it's about the identity that you have as a leader, about what kind of leader do you wanna be, about what contribution you wanna make, how do you wanna serve, um, all that stuff is, is, I love how you're talking about it.
0: I learned that from a client actually, Very early in my career, I was going to meet the CEO of a major resources company, and I'd worked with many other CEOs before that, and they were all the same. You know, they had the trappings of success. They would want everything prepared for them before they came into a meeting. Everyone really did things for them. And then this guy comes off the an helicopter wearing chinos and this rumpled jacket with a notebook, and he's got he doesn't have the usual assistants and aides and so on. He just gets off the plane, walks with us, talks to the workers, has. Food with them takes a lot of notes, and he was the CEO of one of the largest resources companies yeah. in the world. And people yeah. loved him because he acted like them. Yeah, yeah. He mirrored them.
1: Well, and I, I wonder too. You know, like I'm thinking about that story reminds me of one of my favorite clients. Um, who, uh, he was the CEO of a Fortune 50 healthcare company, and he he uh became ceo um you know and this is an, an american company and and sort of looked around at the american healthcare system and just thought yes. oh, my gosh it's a crisis right and he decided that he was going to use his shot as ceo to transform health and healthcare in america and uh to your point like not you know a lot of other healthcare companies were sort of just like extracting you know <laughs> um yes. Maximizing returns, and this CEO kind of went completely against that grain. Was like, you know what, the system's broken, and I think we have a unique opportunity here. We're a unique company to do something about it. And then he like put the shoulder, his shoulder, and the company's shoulder behind it in a in a really big way. And to your point, you know, it was I think very unconventional um, in the industry, but it was him. It was him. It was his story. It was where he came from is the values that he brought to the situation. It was, you know, how the legacy that he felt like he wanted to leave. It was his ability to inspire others and tap into their, you know, going back to your comment earlier about people, you know, and strategy. I mean, so, so much of it is, can you tap into other individuals and, you know, kind of um, their stories and callings and purpose? Um, and he had this really unique ability to do that, which really drove a lot of change in the industry as a result
0: there. But what it made me think Good example. That's a very good example because one thing I've seen is that when leaders face a crisis, they completely forget that a crisis is an opportunity if you look at it the right way. And I remember there was a company I worked with once, um, they were a petrochemicals giant. They operated in a country which is essentially a failed state and their biggest problem was getting skilled workers in right how do you get skilled workers in when the universities don't even work and so on so remember we developed a plan where we said wait there's an opportunity here one way to keep our current employees to stay with us and to build a new crop of employees is what if we paid for their children's education
1: oh interesting Mm -hmm.
0: so that way the workers are loyal to us because a big part of their Mm -hmm. bill is taken away but we also know that if we pay for the education today, in five years we have our new employees. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. there it, it looks like a social good, doesn't it? Like we're doing something because we're such nice philanthropists, but actually we're hard-nosed capitalists. We're just oh. doing something where interests are aligned.
1: See, I think this is the big I think this is the big shift for a lot of people, Michael. I think that's such a great point because to to, to um go back to the, my healthcare example I was just giving you to build on your point, like. You know, when when they went to go transform health, health and healthcare in America, you know, what, one of the things they did right away is they said, okay, in 10 years time, we'll know we've transformed health and healthcare in America when we have improved healthy years for millions of Americans. Well, when they went to go kind of unpack um, it takes to create healthy years, you know, people who were living longer, better lives. Yes. What they realized is that um, it's very like it's hardly anything about the work they were actually doing which was like physical health yes it's very much around mental and social health and so um one of the things that they um you know and other things right but one of the things they ended up going after was homelessness which again to your point could be like feel good homelessness yes but no why did they go after it because if you are homeless it takes 27 years off your life Wow. So by going after homelessness and by finding ways to end homelessness, which they did, um, they can actually increase healthy life years, which actually impacts their bottom line.
0: Yes, exactly. That's a beautiful example of any sustainable measure works if it's profitable. Yes. And what happens to a lot of companies is that they don't really want to put the effort into thinking through a solution that's good for them and the market. So they kind of do something that actually costs them money and it's not sustainable.
1: Yeah. And I also think, and you challenge me if you disagree, I think crisis, it takes a special leader in, in, in kind of the situation that we're in right now, which, you know, I don't think is going away. Right. Like a lot of change and transformation and whatnot. It takes a special leader, like a leader who's really grounded in themselves to say, actually, I'm going to go against the grain and I'm going to do something really bold. And I'm going to try to make things better for people. And I believe if I do that, I can also elevate my business at the same time. Like, I mean, this leader I'm talking about, I would would argue, you know, one of his primary characteristics was courage. He was brave, bold.
0: You have to be someone who is not trying to please. Yes. And someone who doesn't suffer from the imposter syndrome.
1: Yes. If you keep
0: watching over your shoulder, thinking that you're going to be caught out, Yes, You can never do something bold because you just can't deal with the criticism.
1: Yes. And, and do you think that comes from, Sue, I, from my experience of working with people, I feel like that comes from the fact that they've done enough inner work to know who they are, to know what matters to them, to um, really feel this sense of they want, to, they want to leave a legacy, they want to make things better.
0: I don't know all the reasons, but I'll tell you my own experience because I have worked with a certain group of CEOs, which happen to be females in capital intensive sectors. And whenever a female client was promoted into EVP or CEO, I would congratulate them, but also remind them that the most likely reason they were promoted is because no one else could do the job.
1: <laughs>
0: what I've seen with female executives is they never given a good role. Yeah. They're always given a role that nobody wants. (laughs) It's a fact. I mean, I've seen it. That if it's a cushy role, someone in a circle gets it. But if it's a role that's just so bad, they'll say, "Okay, it's really bad. Let's just take the risk and bring in someone else."
1: Yeah. Yeah. So what
0: happens is that with these executives, they've got nothing to lose.
1: Yeah.
0: When you've got nothing to lose and your career was never going to go anywhere, and you're not sure how long you're going to keep this role, you're just going to do whatever you think is right. Yeah. And in that situation. Because they have nothing to lose, they can be bold. And I've seen them do some very creative things.
1: Well, and it's interesting, this example I was talking about, a different, a different I think, part of his story was um, he was uh, kind of in his mid-50s and he knew that this role was his sort of final role. And it was really for him a question of what, what was my legacy going to be here? Yes. You know, I think so that's a different take on what you just said as But it's well. very
0: similar. He has nothing to lose. This is the last 100%. And I think that's a bit of the mindset whereby a lot of leaders, they get so excited about the role they have, that they try to keep it, you know, the the story I always tell people, people always say, CEOs always put the investors before customers. That's not true. CEOs put themselves before everyone else. They try to do everything to keep their job. And sometimes you don't take the necessary risks.
1: Mhm. Well, that's survival again, right?
0: That is survival. Like, it absolutely is survival. Everyone wanna... is trying to keep what they have.
1: Yeah, and 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 you don't want to be embarrassed, you don't want to fail, you know. And I certainly think those stories I told you earlier about being disrupted, I would argue that the leaders in those companies, um certain ones of them, they were afraid of failing. That was part of the fear that was going around to your point. Um and and part of my job honestly and it sounds like your job too Michael is how do I help leaders? Um, how do I help embolden leaders to to take to take the risk to, to kind of connect to who they are, to connect to what matters to them, to help them identify this, the unique contribution to your point that only they can make, and then help yeah. them actually you know um, put the path together. We were working just recently actually with this amazing uh, female leader who has an opportunity to impact diversity and inclusion in a big way. And she is, uh, and and she's, you know, very, very clear on herself, but she was not clear about how she could make an impact. And so we worked with her to help her imagine the future that she could create through whatever she was going to do. We helped her figure out these are the kinds of things that you would do to make that happen. Here are the first steps you need to take. And now she's off and running. And she calls me last week and is telling me how people are energized and excited and shifted things around. And and it's all because she um, found the courage and the bravery and the confidence and the boldness to, to, to start to try
0: That's a great story because in that example, she had to first lead herself before she could lead others.
1: I I think it starts there, honestly. I don't think you can lead others if you're not, if you haven't yourself done the work.
0: Yeah, and the problem with leadership today is everyone wants to be perfect. No one expects you to be perfect as a leader.
1: No, no.
0: You're expected to have insecurities. That's completely normal. You're expected to have a personal life. You're expected to have problems in your personal life. The problem starts when you as a leader does not appreciate that imperfection is a good thing because your employees are imperfect. When they see you're imperfect, they connect with you.
1: Well, and and wouldn't you agree and, and definitely disagree if you don't, but I, I feel like people want to be part of something bigger than themselves. I mean, that's what leadership, the verb leading is all about. It's uh, saying, I, "I I think we can make something better. And it's back to your earlier point, it's inspiring and activating people to be part of that work with you. Uh yes. it's a it's a together thing. It's a collective thing. It's not a um an us them thing.
0: It's interesting you say that because I was talking to someone else the other day, and we were talking about the most successful companies in the world don't promote their brand, they promote their higher purpose. Mm. Mm-hmm. Like Tesla doesn't really promote its brand. It talks about the shift towards electric.
1: The future it wants to create. Exactly.
0: And the example of Nike is a good example. Yep. Just do it is not their slogan. It's their higher purpose.
1: That's right.
0: The slogan yeah. comes after at least the Nike swoosh, the, the branded logo comes after their purpose.
1: Yes. Yes. And what
0: you're saying is very true. It's companies. Can't have a higher purpose unless their leader gives it a higher purpose because a company can't speak for itself.
1: No, and I think purpose is tricky. I think um I am a big believer that companies need to have a purpose, but but I think there's and you know, obviously um there's a big movement towards companies having purposes, you know, and figuring out what their higher purpose is. I think though, to your point, it only becomes authentic versus a marketing ploy when. People who work there actually um, authentically connect to it, embody it, yes. believe in it, um, and that starts with the leader. I mean, the Australians have this amazing one of my favorite Aussie sayings is "fish rots from the head."
0: Yeah, yes, I, I know that. Yeah, uh,
1: and like and it's, it's true, right? Like the leader sets, especially the CEO, but but frankly, the leader of any team, you know, is that that you know sets the tone. If you don't authentically um, embody and believe in that purpose, if it doesn't align with who you are as a human, it's, it's, it's just gonna be marketing. It's just gonna yes. be hype.
0: And there's an easy way to test this because oftentimes I speak to CEOs and leaders and they tell me, but how do I test this? There's an easy test. Companies that do lead with a higher purpose where the employees buy into that higher purpose almost always pay less mm-hmm. than the average. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, and they perform better
0: they perform better and they pay less because the employees are willing to be part of this journey they're willing to give up some of their compensation just to be part of this journey
1: well and you know going back to your original points about you know strategy having a strategy is not enough i mean you know having an inspiring thing they're going after whether that you know the way we work is we take that purpose and we say great that's the reason you exist that's amazing Five years from now, when you've realized that purpose, you know, or 10 years from now, when you've Mm -hmm. realized that purpose, what does the future look like as a result? So for instance, if your purpose is around joy, like Target has a purpose around joy, 10 years from now, making the number up, it could be five, three, whatever. Tell me what joy looks like. How many customers, how many, Mm -hmm. like, like, tell me what the future looks like because you have actually created more joy in the world. Okay, great. Now let's work backwards from that to create that future Tell me what you have to do to make that possible. And that's what the cool thing is. You start to see, oh, well, to create that, you know, kind of um, amplified picture of joy in the future, we've got to do all these new things. And people get really excited. They get excited about a bold goal, about something that matters for people. They get excited about cool work that's going to make that possible. It, It touches on something in them, and then they give their best to make it possible.
0: It's interesting you say target's goal or philosophy is joy, because I would say that's what you feel in a target store.
1: I know. I know. It's, 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 um it's fun. It's fun. And you know, and similar, you know, Starbucks is connection and Google is exploration. You know, I think a lot of these companies have this insight about they're there for a human reason. And uh, I think what certainly I am excited to push companies like that on is, how do you take that and not create a vision that's just words, you know, that you're never going to reach? But like, yes. tell me in ten years how you're going to know you've created joy in the world, you know, or yeah, that's how a very good question. Created connection in the world, like, and and if you're really going to create a lot more connection, which is amazing, then uh, and you quantify what that looks like into a sort of a single bold goal, kind of like when J F K. said, say, "Let's go to the moon," like that opens up so many doors of innovation and, and employee activation, it's crazy.
0: Yes, I mean, when you talk about connection, I was thinking about the 5G rollout in the United States, which isn't going very well, and you read all these stories from all of the CEOs from Verizon, AT&T, and so on, and they all talk about the 5G rollout, but it's connection, that's what they're doing.
1: Yeah, and human connection, <laughs> you
0: know? And what they need to focus on is what, how do they know they've rolled out 5G, it's not because you've rolled it out is because you've created a whole new market of people being able to operate in ways they couldn't do it before.
1: Exactly. And I think that's the key is that, you know, if you play out this sort of the thread we're, we're playing with right now, it's, it's, you know, all of those telecom companies are in the business of human connection. And the connection is is around giving people ways to connect that they couldn't connect before that, that then allow for so many things to happen as a result. That's exciting. That's the cool future. You know, that's a
0: future people would want to be a part of,
1: you want to be part of, and, and you know, what, what I think you hear in the leadership space right now is like, you know, leaders, you know, uh, need to access more creativity and imagination. And, and in that example, it's like, let's imagine what that looks like when you've done that, let's imagine it and imagine what people will be doing. And, and I'm sure they've done some of it, right. I'm not, I'm not saying that they haven't, but yes. But it's it's that is the thing that when you tell that story, when you say, no, really, this is about a human, a thing that's going to make people's lives better, and this is the opportunity that we have in front of us if we do it, and it's going to require us to do all these really cool things, and you get to be part of it. That's a very different story than when you're just about surviving. And
0: yes, absolutely, all of the work we're
1: doing is because we need to make sure that we keep our market share, <laughs> you know, where it is.
0: That, yes, because that that excites It doesn't even excite investors. Because investors know that trying to defend market share is not the same as delighting customers.
1: That's right. That's right.
0: And these are smart people. People who manage funds and funds and institutional funds, they're smart. They know which kind of messages work in the market. They understand that if you just pursue and invest in a company that's trying to survive, as you say, which is true, you're not going to survive for long. This is the irony: companies that try to survive don't really end up surviving.
1: That's right. Well, and even I would even argue um, that it applies at such a the principle you just said applies at even such a micro level. Like even your team's not going to survive. You know, like we were working with a team a few months ago, a leadership team at a company, and and again, they've been in survival mode. You know, for the last two years, it's been crisis after crisis after crisis. And um, they're tired, exhausted, frankly. And uh, we were uh, invited in to help them sort of uh, kind of kick off a new chapter together. And the work that we did with them was, okay, so a year from now, this team has contributed what to this company? Like, imagine what you can do. You guys are amazingly smart, talented, and you're the leaders of this massive group in this company. What can you contribute? And then you know, what kinds of things would you have to create to do that? And what kind of team would you have to become? And gosh, Michael, through that conversation, they got excited and, you know, uh, you could see them moving away from sort of that feeling of victimhood to uh, kind of um, like agency and leaving again, if you will, you know, again, shift that shift from sort of,
0: well, you're inspiring them,
1: surviving right? to thriving, you know,
0: but you're inspiring them.
1: Yes. You're putting well, a spark in there. I think equipping. Because equipping yes. only works if they then have, a you know, actions that they can take, if you will.
0: Yes. I remember there was someone from, um, I think it was Nigeria who wrote to me the other day, a student from Nigeria and very sad because their life is not going well. They Aww. are happy with things. And I remember telling this lady that, you know, she obviously writing to me from an Apple phone. I can see it says from an iPhone at the bottom yeah, of the message. I was trying to tell her that, do you realize you're using a phone, you in your hand, you have a phone that has more computing power than the entire US government had when they put a man on the moon in 1969?
1: is not just mind blowing.
0: So if you're telling me that you can't use that computer to do something with your life, what hope is there? Of yeah. course, you can do. It's just about reframing your life. Life isn't bad. Your life is bad. There's a difference, but you're young, and you can change that.
1: Yeah, and it's again. I think some people, you know, again, not knowing her story at all, but but I certainly, I think one of my core beliefs from my own experiences is that no matter who we are, no matter what the situation is, again, we have agency. We can make choices. And when you're in a, a leadership space, in particular. You can make choices about what you want to do with your platform and And the question is, you know, have you been intentional about making that choice and and you know, are you are you aware if you're just leading in a way that's about survival or can you choose a different way and you know, really try to um, help people see a better future that you can create together? Like
0: yes, I like that's that.
1: that's the job I feel like of leaders today.
0: To me, it's, it's a very exciting thing to be able to get up, walk outside, drive to your office and build something. Yeah. Whenever I speak to CEOs and so on, for me, it's so exciting that they get to have all these resources to do something with it.
1: Yeah. Yeah. They yeah. can
0: choose. It's their choice to make a oh. mediocre product. It's, it's no one forced them to do it.
1: Totally, and they—they they have all of the you know CEOs in particular, right? They have—they have a platform. Many of them don't realize they do, but they have a platform. They have, to your point, money, influence, power—you know, people—you know, to do something with. And 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 it is exciting. We worked when when they make a choice that's about using it for for you know making things better. Like we worked, There was a company uh, again not too long ago. It's, it's a sustainable um, shoe retailer, and they they started playing around with some of the concepts you and I've been talking about, and they. Uh, began to imagine 10 years from now what would be possible if they could um, help replace one pair of shoes in every U.S. household with a pair of sustainable shoes. So to do that, if they did it in 10 years, you know, you could imagine like huge consumer behavior change, huge waste reduction, you know, probably even influencing the industry about how they do things. But what was super cool about it um, was what they would have to do to make it happen they would have to completely elevate their performance. They'd have to change their portfolio of products. They'd have to make it more appealable to uh, a whole new set of customers than what they're doing today, you know, and and they would not only increase sales and revenue, but they'd have this impact. That's cool. That's really exciting. That's something people want to be part of.
0: Yes, but the part that is very key, what you said there is that their higher purpose must force them to reinvent themselves.
1: Mm -hmm. Yes.
0: Because what a lot of companies do and a lot of leaders do they say these are my resources, what can I get, how can I get 10% more from it and that's going to be. My I,
1: I think that's, I think that's an excellent point Michael yes, because if you don't have that higher purpose you're really just you, exactly right your purpose is to make money.
0: Yes, yeah, It's not just make money it's a resources based view of strategy, which is what resources yeah. do I have, how do I yes. do something adjacent. You know, it's adjacency moves that everyone loves to pull off. It was such a big thing in the 1990s and 2010 and so on. But companies that pull off adjacency moves have actually floundered. That's the thing.
1: Yes, right. Because it has, in so many cases, makes no sense why they did it.
0: But also, if you can pull off an adjacency move, so can your competitor. So it's not a, it's not really a competitive advantage
1: no and, and to your point again in the you know you have a higher purpose it's a in my opinion it's a human centered purpose you know like connection to, or joy or discovery you imagine a future that you can create from from that purpose that tells you what adjacency moves you should make because yes. you know to create that future requires you to create new things which probably implies you have to get into new markets or what have you and um and you know, that's, that's a different way of thinking about it.
0: I actually have a great story about a very counterintuitive strategy, which I think is worth for the listeners to hear this. I once worked with um, a mining company and they were getting into a lot of trouble because once they mine the ground, they leave the, the spent earth lying in these big fields, right? And they don't look very pretty. Think about it. When you wow. mine, you have to pull out rock from the earth and you have to leave that yeah. rock somewhere yeah yeah and then it, they getting to a lot of trouble because these fields or dams as they call them where they would leave the spent earth and there's technical terms for but i'm not going to get into it they <laughs> are an environmental hazard they look terrible if they burst they cause flooding and so on and one very clever CEO came up with the idea of said what if we remind them so 40 years ago when we first mined them we could only take out so much of what we wanted And there's still some valuable stuff in there. What if we went back and mined the waste? Wow. Which basically was a very clever idea, which started off the whole remining of waste industry. Mm -hmm. That's a totally different way of thinking. He was a brave guy. He didn't care what anyone thought. And, And what people need to remember is that oftentimes brave ideas look stupid
1: oh 100% and they they're crazy they're 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 crazy till they're not you know what i mean
0: investment community says it's a bad idea we've never seen it before we don't understand the economics but the job of a good leader is to explain the economics
1: well and also i think don't you think prove it out exactly
0: right? it's a, just do a pilot it's not that hard to do it
1: to do the test case of it and just to, to show people i mean i think the way to make crazy less crazy is to demonstrate it
0: exactly Rather than going for the big bang approach is that come up with new ideas, think in a different way, launch a few ideas, see what works, but keep going after that higher purpose
1: yeah yeah and and again, that higher purpose is what fuels you what I mean you know if you think about even in your own life, I, I certainly think about this for me like uh, I know that when I connect to something inside myself, um, regardless of what's happening outside, I am far more um, Convicted to keep going. Yes. Like it. I just have to do it. I just. That's because you have a
0: strong why.
1: Yeah, I have a strong why, and companies are the same. I would think, right? Like with the higher purpose comments that you're making, it's when people are very connected to that strong why, or, or in in our the way we we do things, you know, this this idea of the future they're going to create. That's that, regardless of the crisis, that that remains the goal, and they just continue to figure out how they're going to achieve it. It, it, but it, but it creates, you know, kind of that, um, we just have to do it. (laughs) We just have to do it.
0: One of the phrases I use with clients is I always say, beware of the tyranny of how, because if it needs to be done, then figure out how to do it. But if you start figuring out how to do it before having a strong, why you'll never get over the hurdle.
1: Well, and I think that goes back to your point and and it's okay. It's not going to be perfect.
0: Yeah. It doesn't have to be perfect, but if you need to do this to survive, or to yes. delight customers or to be the best in your industry or to change the world, then you'll figure yes. out how to do it. It's like yes. what you said before you gotta figure it out, you gotta reinvent yourself.
1: Yes, exactly. Well, and I think the idea of figuring it out is so critical in the world we live in, right? It's the, again, it's the, um, what is your higher purpose? What is the future you wanna create? You know, it's okay, what's your best guess for how to do it? Um, okay, so now to figure it out. It's a little bit like going on a road trip. I feel
0: like, you know, you're going to figure it out as you get there.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's like, I'm going to drive from San Francisco to New York. Um, I'm have my best guess about how I'm going to get there, but depending on, you know, traffic and weather and um, kind of just frankly, what I feel like, I may change it as I go, or I might have a flat tire and I might need to do something different. Um, It's similar to that. I feel like it's, it's, that's how leadership feels to me these days.
0: It should be like that. The delight of uncertainty.
1: Yeah, but but in pursuit of something really great.
0: Yes. Alicia, thank you so much. I think our listeners are going to love this episode.
1: Oh, I'm so happy. And it was so fun to talk to you, Michael. And thank you for letting me join your community. I appreciate it.
0: And you too will be in touch. I'm sure we'll do another podcast again soon. And my team will be in touch with you with all the logistics in terms of when we're releasing it and so on.
1: Awesome. Thank you, Michael. You're super fun to talk to.
0: And you too, I really enjoyed it. We'll definitely bring you on again because I think you have some very interesting ways of thinking about the world.
1: Ah, oh, I appreciate it. Thank you for the feedback. Awesome, that was super fun. That was awesome. I'm so glad I got to do it.
0: Take care, enjoy the walks in the park. Oh, I'm sure it's very beautiful there. And that's it for today's episode. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing the episode. Finally, I want you to remember that the only way to get access to our special office, the only way to get our special pricing